Father, we have already heard this morning of <clears throat> the power of transformed life. Even in different seasons of life, you're longing to renew our minds. You're longing for us to, uh, to turn to you, to trust in you, to see you as being sufficient. So Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask the same for each one here, that we see your word as sufficient, as enough, that you would be uh, where we find ourselves and that we would see you so richly in what you provide in Jesus. That's our heart's desire this morning. So by your spirit, help us to see Jesus. Amen. So we are finishing up uh, just a little short series on Titus. And this morning we are looking at all of chapter three. So um, do open up your Bibles and follow along. We're going to try and uh, work through the whole chapter. And one of the main themes this morning that I want to share from this chapter is on identity, on, on who we truly are. As, as a kid, one of my favourite TV shows, probably the favourite TV show, was on every Saturday night, and we, as a kid, you sort of do this, hopefully as an adult I've grown out of it a little bit, you sort of centre your whole week around a TV show and when it's going to be released, back when there was no streaming and those sorts of things. We used to put video them on VHS, if you know what those things are. Uh, the favourite show was The Pretender. I don't know if any of you are aware of it. It was the story of this childhood genius who sort of grew up in pretty much a laboratory, effectively. He was taken from his parents when he was really small and grew up in a very strange environment where he was used by powerful people for questionable means. But he escapes as an adult and becomes sort of a a vigilante, helping little people and helping, helping those who have been oppressed and helping where there's been injustice. And the whole f- sort of premise of the show was because of his great gifting, his great intelligence, he could literally become anyone he wanted to be. He would insert any profession he wanted. So every episode was him in a different profession or a different field or a different career for that show mm-hmm. while he solved a puzzle, worked out a mystery, brought some justice, whatever it was. Um, It was just a a great show that I loved as a kid, The Pretender. Thinking of that as well, as I read this during the week, uh, some of us don't really know who we are, do we? Some of us are pretty good at pretending. Some of us are not very good at pretending, but some of us try anyway. We try and copy maybe those who are around us, close to us, our peers. Um, Some of us though, do know who we are. And we're determined that no one else would know who we are, so we actually cover up a few things in our lives as well. We're good at pretending to be someone else in, in different spaces, and different contexts. As, as Christians, though, we have absolutely no need for pretending. No need for pretending. No need for, for faking. We can be sure of who we are. While we'll always be imperfect, we're still going to be that. We're still going to be imperfect. We're never quite going to be complete, especially in this, this life. There is a way of knowing who we truly are. And our passage, I think, in Titus 3 today shows us the answer to knowing who we are is centred on knowing who God is and what he's done for us. So those are the questions we want to ask today. Uh, who is God? What's he done for you? Uh, Who are you now 
in light of what God has done for you. So Paul has been instructing this young leader, Titus, in a way uh, the church should be. The church, this is what the church should look like in action. Uh, or the way people who follow Jesus should be. Who we are as Christians, of course, is not set to one day of the week for a few hours on a Sunday morning. It's all of life. And, and he really emphasizes in this chapter who God is. is important to knowing who we are and who, what we're supposed to do. The culture of Crete, where Titus was set, uh, we've thought a little bit about that already. Back in chapter 1, verse 12, we get an insight to the culture of Crete. Cretans are always liars, evil, belief, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So there's this culture that Titus was in. Truth was never guaranteed. Evil was rampant. Selfish indulgence was just a way of life. In that culture, Titus was to insist on some key things. The things that will make people ready for good works. Notice in verse 8. There's some things that are trustworthy. There's some things that are true. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What we believe is vital. How we live is important. That is what we're meant to get right. And we have to get our identity right. To do that, we have to avoid being fake. We have to avoid pretending. And to do that, we need to see what's, what's Paul insisting on. What are these things? What are these things that Paul was teaching Titus? Because we need those things as well. Well, let's think firstly about who we were. If we're going to think about our identity now and who God is, let's think about who we were. Who were we? What was our past identity? What's our default identity? Well, Paul speaks of that in sort of verses, verse 3. Now, if I ask you who you were, you sort of think in the past. You look back on memories and you think of who, who was I? Who was I? And you usually think of that when you think about your identity. You remember events. You remember people that were around you. You remember the external influences, your family, your home environment, your siblings. As you get older, you might think of uh, your friendships, your relationships, your workplaces, your study, your life experiences. All those things, we think, formed who we were those external things. And all those things certainly have an impact. All those external things certainly have an impact. But Paul, when he speaks here in verse 3, and says, he says a bit more directly about what influences who we were. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. All these things that he starts to list, you start to realise they're not external things. They're actually internal things. They're, they're heart things. Attitudes of the hearts, our desires, our affections, our attractions, our feelings, our thoughts. What's going on inside us made us who we were. Who we were and who we are just by default are the things we're passionate about, the things we love, the things we set our hearts on. And Paul says, although you were these things, he puts it in the past tense, you were these things, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions 
and desires, passing your days in malice and envy, hating others, being hated. This is confronting, isn't it? To think about who we were. What are some of these things? Well, just ask you a favor right now, because you're gonna approach this and think, oh, you'll approach this list and say, I know I've seen that in other people. Can you just put that to bed right now? And just, you know, I've seen this in myself. Can we just do that? Because you're going to approach this list and go, oh yeah, I know that person is like that and that person, yep, 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 yep. So just stop that right now and be a bit more self-reflective. What are these people really like? What am I really like? Foolish people say and act like there is no God. That's what scripture tells us. To be foolish is to act like there's no God. And we all act like fools at times. Especially um, when we act like God doesn't know what we're doing. That's a fairly foolish thing. What about disobedient? Well, disobedient people is a different level. They know there's a God and they choose to rebel against him. They disobey. And we're all rebels. We've all broken God's law. And we've all broken God's law thinking there'll be no consequence. What about those who are led astray? These people that stray and get lost. They're sort of thinking they're on a path, but they're not where they think they are. They've maybe entered a pretty broad path with a wide gate, lots of other people there. But we're led astray whenever we follow anything or anyone other than God. Again, that's all of us. Slaves, slaves to passions and desires. We say, well, we're not really a slave. I'm not enslaved to anything that I'm aware of. But when we really think about it, there might be, there'd be something in our lives that even if it cost you everything, you wouldn't give it up. Maybe it has cost you everything, you still haven't given it up. Perhaps if you're prepared to spend money you don't have on things you don't need, or spend your time you can't afford to lose in pursuits that aren't going to be eternal. Maybe you break relationships you're meant to uphold and, and honour. Also, you can follow your heart. You might not consider yourself a slave or an, or an addict, but that's exactly what you are. Look at your bank account. Look at uh, what you give your time to. That reveals what your heart is desiring the most. What about how we pass our time? How do you pass your time? What's your hobbies? And none of us would confess, you know, I pass my time in malicious, maliciousness and envy and plotting evil and scheming and hating people and them hating me. It's a really good time. None of us would confess to openly, consciously doing that. But in practice, our hearts are constantly on the lookout to attack or defend. We pass our time scrolling or trolling. You say, well, I don't do that because I've sworn off social media and I'm not on social media. That's a good thing in some ways. But just a word of warning, if you've sworn yourself off social media, you're not immune to wasting your time and having other vices as well. How much of your time is spent in condemning others as being ignorant and stupid for following the crowd? 
how much of your time is spent wishing you had what someone else had. I hope from that list you are confronted that we are all sinners. The reason Paul gives this list and say, you were once these things, because we all go, yeah, yep. We're all those things. We're all those things without God. We're all those things before God. We're all those things when we stop trusting in what God provides. There's a couple of other realizations that should hit us as we look at this list. Not just that we all do it, it's unresponsible. I do those things. They are my actions coming from my desires, my heart, my love, my affection. I can't actually blame external things. They might have an impact, but I'm responsible. It's not how I was raised. It's not the culture around me. It's not even the devil making me do it. My heart is desperately wicked. And I cannot save myself. If this is who I am, if this is who I was, hopefully, if this is who I am, I need an outside source, I need someone from outside of myself who is perfect, holy, complete, and can save me. Well, what about this disconnect as well? Because Paul says we were once these things. He sort of talks in the past tense, but we, f- we feel like oh, we've done these things more than once and some of us feel, and even I would feel, I'm still doing some of these things. And it's in direct contrast with the life that Paul's putting forward to Titus. Remind them, he says, to be submissive to rulers, authorities, to be obedient. Don't be disobedient, be obedient to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show courtesy. That's the standard that Paul's holding up. And we look at the standard of what our default actions are and it doesn't measure. How do we get from who we were, sometimes who we are, to what Paul is holding up as a good citizen, a good Christian citizen? We seem to be like the hardware that returns to the factory settings. If you let us go too long with it. If we don't do those operating system updates, it's just like we we, we just return us to the factory settings. The default response is we're wired for selfishness, to do whatever our heart desires. That's our wiring. We look at that and we go, well, I know how to fix that. I'll just stop doing these things. I'll just stop. I'll work harder. I'll realign my thoughts in a certain way. I'll work harder at being better. But, as verse 5 tells us, our salvation and even our renewal and regeneration is not dependent on works that we do. there's something that's gone wrong, something that goes wrong in all of our hearts. And the disconnect comes, our hearts are out of alignment. Some of us might know or have experienced, unfortunately, what what it is to have an irregular heartbeat, the uncomfortability of that. That's one thing, and it can be dangerous. Uh, A blocked artery or three is even more dangerous. But your position is not just that you have a slightly bad heart, or a heart that's 
a bit worse than the person next to you. Your position outside of God is you have a heart that's desperately wicked and you cannot save yourself. You don't need to realign your heart. You don't need to just unblock a few things here and there and get your thoughts clear. You need a new heart. And what's the answer to this? Well, if that feels like our reality, we know who we were. Paul's made that clear. We know who we were. We know what we default to. How do we shift? Well, who is God? What's the eternal reality? If our reality is a desperately wicked heart and a sinful nature, what is the eternal reality? Who is God? Who is God? Uh, I'm not sure about you, maybe some of you in the room have met more famous people than I have. I haven't met too many famous people or or well-known people. The couple that I've had opportunity to meet, people that I've greatly respected, um, you know, think they say don't meet your heroes because they'll let you down, but thankfully the ones I've been able to meet, sort of, they've been okay. They're human, but they haven't let me down. Their body of work, their life was matched by who they were in person. It was a wonderful thing to, to get to know them a little. But maybe you've heard rumours about people. Maybe you've heard rumours about famous people or people, um, people that speak about people that you think you should know. Meeting them in person is the only way to truly know who they are. I I don't have to rely on rumours to know some of you in this room. Because I can sit down, I can talk with you, I can look you in the face, we can share life. Don't have to rely on a rumour. We can know each other. What have you heard about God? What have you believed about him? What are the rumours you've heard about God? Because there's lots of different things that people say about who God is. Maybe you've heard something along the lines of God's just a prohibitionist. He just says no a lot. That's just who God is. He says no. He has some rigid rules. doesn't want you to be happy. Perhaps you've heard that God is distant. He's uncaring. He's removed from our personal experience and he doesn't really love. Perhaps you've heard the rumour that God plays favourites. He likes some, hates others. Perhaps you've heard that God sends people he doesn't like to hell for all eternity. Maybe you've heard and hopefully you've heard other things about God. He's got rules, but therefore you're good. You're just not sure if you can measure up to what he needs of you. You've heard that he's a judge and he's completely... He is completely perfect and holy, but he loves everybody. You're just not sure that he'll love you. Perhaps you've heard that he's kind and gentle and good, but you just haven't seen it or felt it yourself. As one commentator put it, God's kindness is no longer a rumour. Verse tells us but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our saviour appeared God has shown up he's appeared but 
Paul tells Titus who God is really, really clearly. Who is God? He's good, he's kind, he's present, he's appeared. He's merciful, he's rich, he's gracious. And all these things have not only been displayed in Jesus, all of these things are poured out richly into the life of those who trust and believe in Jesus. That is the reality of who he is and what he's willing to be for any who believe in him. Believing the wrong things about what God has uh, what done or not done, believing the wrong things about what God has done or not done will lead you to live a life in accordance with that belief. If you believe the wrong things about God, you'll live in accordance with that. God's a prohibitionist, I'll just break his rules. He doesn't really love me anyway. You'll live in accordance with your wrong belief of God. So we have to align ourselves with what does, what do we know of God? What has he said of himself? <clears throat> and some other, other things that we might get wrong about God. Don't even believe God exists. The Bible tells us if you believe that, you'll live very foolishly and you'll live selfishly. Maybe you don't think God cares about you or that God's unkind. You might find that you'll be anxious, you'll be angry, you'll be bitter. What you believe about God will form your identity. This is why Paul stresses, repeats, insists on Titus stressing, repeating, and insisting on these things. <coughs> because right belief about God will lead to right living. Verse 8 tells us that. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And Titus here was to teach right things about who God is. So he'd equip people to know who they are. And those who believe right things about God will become a people ready for and devoted to good works. That's the whole point of teaching good teaching, of teaching right doctrine. People would know the right things of God and act according to those right beliefs. Think of that in the context of where we just walked through those other verses. Who we were did not at all put God off from setting his goodness and loving kindness and mercy upon us. Who we were did not deter God from loving us, pouring out his spirit on us and sending Jesus to save us. It was precisely because we couldn't save ourselves and we were in such a horrible position that God has saved us. Who we are then, our identity is solely based not on who we were, not on what we've done, but on God and what he has done. So if you find yourself at a loss to know who you are, look at who God is. He is loving, kind, gentle, merciful, gracious. This is your saviour. Not just all those things, willing to be present with us. 
willing to show all those things to us and reveal them to us and pour them onto us by his spirit. Knowing these things will help you know who you are. Believing these things will help you live out this new identity through community on mission, if that phrase is helpful to any of us. So who we were, who God is, what's he done? What has God done for us? If those, that is who he is, what's he done? What's our present identity? I think except for a, um, a strange period in sort of the teen years or pre-teen years where parents are sort of non-existent for some reason, all of us are entirely dependent on our parents, except for that really weird gap where they just don't exist. We're dependent on them for everything, for sustaining our very life. <clears throat> um, the older I get, and now as a parent myself, I realise how, just how dependent I was on my parents for absolutely everything. I was a helpless child. They kept me alive at bare minimum. Better than that, they set me on a good path in life. But that helpless position, that entirely helpless position of being a child, being totally dependent, when we picture that in relation to who we are without God, it's sort of the same. We're entirely helpless, hopeless without God. And then God is our loving and kind Heavenly Father who steps in, he appears in humanity through Jesus Christ, his son, and saves us, gives us new life. Who are we really? Walk through verses five to seven and consider the list of who we really are. Saved, washed, regenerated, renewed, justified, heirs, spirit-filled. This is who we are when we are dependent on who God is. We accept what he's done on our behalf. We live out in this identity. Where are people, as Paul has said back at the end of chapter 2 and verse 14, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Saved. Saved. Saved from the righteous wrath of God. Being made clean. Washed by his spirit. Declared righteous by his grace. We are made right in God's eyes, inheriting eternal life, inheriting not just life eternal in the future, the hope that that being secure, but we have new life now. This is who we are. And I hope you would see that and you'd look at that and you'd meditate on it and say, that is wonderful. That is amazing. That is liberating. Life, it's salvation, it's hope. Your identity is no longer found in your past, your family experiences, your previous desires, your misaligned heart. You have a new reality. You have a new family, you have a new heart. You now belong to God. You have a Saviour. You are not lost. You don't have to be foolish. You're not a child. You're not a slave. A child, an heir. Your whole identity has changed. You used to pass your time in violence and envy and hatred. Now you have better ways to spend your time. 
Ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, courteous to all people. You have some options about how to pass your time now. I also want, to, I want us to think carefully about how we should not form our identity around what we struggle with either. I think what Kelly shared this morning speaks to this. Because our culture and society demands we live according to what is culturally acceptable, normative. Think of the Cretan culture that Titus was in. It was perfectly okay to say that you're a liar, that you're an evil beast, a lazy glut. It's just normal. That's just who society expects me to be, it's who I'll be. And it's easy for us to default to the same thing in our society and culture. That's just who I am. I just, I just am angry. I'm just an angry person. That's just who I am. People have to work around me. I just am. I am an addict. That's just who I am. There's no solution to it. I just confess it, and by confessing it and identifying with it, I can live with it. And you need to live with it too. I am bitter. I'm just bitter. Things have gone wrong in my life. That's a reality. That's who I am. I am anxious. It's just who I am. It's how I operate. No. We're told to build our identity around who God is and what he's done for those who believe in him. You are not your struggle. You're not your temptation. You're not even your sin. You're saved, you're washed, you're regenerated, you're renewed, you're spirit-filled, you're empowered. See those struggles, see those temptations, even see your sins in the light of who God is. Build your identity in his truth, who he is, who he says you are, based on what he's done, what he's called you to. You have full access as well to exactly what you need to accomplish this identity. It's already been done for you. So you have full access. Verse 6 talks about how it's richly, has been richly poured out. It's this regeneration, this renewal, this new heart has been poured out on us richly. God's held nothing back. Held nothing back. There's nothing else he could give you. There's nothing else he could do for you. There's nothing else he's promised to you. He's done all of it already. There is a warning here, though. Because even though we have the surety of who God is and what he's done for us and what he's called us to, we can still have mistaken identity. We can still get confused. Not just the default things that we go back to, but Paul has a, a warning for Titus here. Just as these things, these truths that we've been focusing on this morning are profitable, they're worthwhile, we should live in them, we should meditate on them. There's also some things that are unprofitable and worthless that will take you on the wrong track, that will distract you 
We need to be aware of this. These unprofitable and worthless things in verses 9 to 11. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. Clearly there was some influences at Crete. There was people with big voices, agendas. And we can have those in our own lives. We can even have them in our own church. Those who want to push an agenda. Those who want to control others. Those who want to manipulate teaching. Those who want to force their way of thinking. Paul's instructing Titus to uphold a standard of unity, which means curbing pointless debates and removing divisive people from the church community. He's quite clear about that. A person who stirs up division, warn them, warn them once, warn them twice. If they're not repentant, have nothing more to do with them. We think of part of the church's job is to uphold truth. But there's, there's things that can get imbalanced, even with truthful things, if that makes sense. We can major on things that are just not important. We can make secondary things the, the big thing. Titus battled with those who wanted to add the requirements of the Old Testament law and Jewish traditions and apply those to non-Jewish believers. That's what Titus was battling with. Those who would add works to salvation. Works to identity. And we battle with some works-based identity teaching, I think, in, in some ways. But our main battle, my main battle, my heart's own battle, and I think the battle in our sort of Western evangelical church more has to do with how we love to argue about stupid things. We not only dismiss one another based on how we've categorised what they think without even knowing who they are. We don't take an opportunity to do good works to everyone. We certainly ignore verse 2. We do the opposite of speak evil of no one. We, we're quite comfortable in categorising and making a caricature of someone based on how we think they act is not connected with, with what I think things should be. We like to fight. And we don't want to be gentle about it. There has to be a point in our Christian lives and in our churches where we move on from arguing with one another about semantics. It's good to be grounded in good teaching, good instruction, the apostles' doctrine, good theology. But for a church to be unified, we can't spend time bogged down in things that are not central to who God is, what he's done, and what that means for us. These are verses that are a warning to us, that any of us, with all this truth, with all these things about who God is, what he's done for us, and how certain we can be of what we have in him, any of us can still mistake our identity. We can still get off track. We can forget who we are. We can forget who God is. 
our aim in coming to church and doing church together and being in community together is, as we've looked at for the last few weeks, is to build one another up. And part of the building one of one another up is having the main things, the main things. Insist on these things. These things are excellent and profitable. One of the main reasons we should be ready and prepared to do good works is to help those who have urgent need. We won't be ready to help those who have urgent need if we're distracted about who we are, what our tag is, what our affiliation is. No, these things, Paul says, these things, who God is, what he's done who that's made you. The church in general and here. We, we should be seeking to transform, see transformation in lives, see transformation in, even in culture, but not through making war on culture because Paul says no. There's a way of addressing the wrong things in culture but still not speaking evil of people, still being gentle. So we seek transformation not through making war, not through assimilating either and saying, I am these things, I am a liar, an evil beast, a lazy glutton. I am that, I am this. No, that's not how we transform culture either. We wisely participate, but our main devotion and submission and insistence and repetition is in these things. The truth of who God is. Because as we're devoted to Jesus, and as people see us devoted to Jesus, and can see the Spirit richly poured out, living out the reality of who God is in our lives and in our midst, we begin to show this, this good, this common good, reflects this, the beauty of the message that we have to share. If you're confused about who you are, don't, don't dwell on who you were. Don't think on who you were. It's good to acknowledge that. It might even be good to confront that in certain ways, with, but confront it with the gospel. Confront it with the reality of, of who God is. Meditate on that. Think of all the wonderful things he's done and know that he saved you. I remember because of the good news of Jesus, there's no need for pretending. There's no need for faking. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for who you are. There is nothing in and of ourselves that could earn uh, our righteousness, our salvation. There's nothing even in and of ourselves that would motivate us to do good works purely for your glory. But when the goodness and loving kindness of you, our Saviour, appeared, you saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of your mercy. Well, we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you that your mercy continues to do a work in our hearts, transforming us into the people you've called us to be. Lord, we pray that we would insist on good things, on right teaching, but also that we would live it. That we would be your people.
zealous and devoted to good works for your name's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.